Hello, you're listening to the Australian Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo and you can find us online at writerscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published and write with confidence. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. Our team is passionate about all things writing and in these podcasts, we'll be talking to best-selling authors on their craft. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Welcome to the Sydney Writers' Centre in Nelson's Point. My name is Rose Pal and I'm here today to interview David Van. David is an American author who's written eight books, three of which have been novels. We're here to talk about his third book, Dirt. His earlier two novels have both been bestsellers, multi-award winners and translated into over 18 languages. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. David, your most recent book, Dirt, it's pretty grim. Where did the idea for this book come from? I actually sort of chuckle whenever I think of the book. It, it didn't seem grim to me. It, it was actually maybe the only funny book I'll ever write, in that I was new age when I was in high school. And Galen, in the book, is he's 22 years old, he's very new age in his beliefs. It's 1985, new age California. And back then, I, I did firewalking. I actually helped with firewalking workshops. I taught uh, sort of meditation and relaxation and etheric surgery, all these little workshops. And I actually tried over and over to walk on water. I didn't have my arms out like this and crash into various mountain lakes and hot tubs thinking this time my feet will hold. And uh, to me, it's, uh, it's, I guess it's funny to me, uh, uh, his attempts at transcendence and his meditation on dirt, which is where the title comes from. He finds that he thought his meditation would be in water like Siddhartha, but instead it's in shoveling dirt and seeing all the, the arrangement of grains uh, of the dirt. Uh, and I, I guess I also find funny the uh, sex scenes with his cousin, uh, where he's very manipulated by her. Uh, so anyway, I don't actually find it a great book. It, it is tragedy in the end. Uh, things don't work out well. And this is the closest I've come to writing Greek tragedy, in that it's closer to following dramatic unities. It takes place in just ten days with five characters, mostly in two locations. And there's a lot of pressure put on the characters. For, we've been writing tragedy for 2,500 years, mm-hmm. and I think the purpose of it is to put uh, as much pressure as possible on a couple of characters in a short period of time and limited space uh, to try to get them to the point where they're going to break. And when they break, they're revealed, and we find out who they are, and we test ourselves against them. So I think tragedy is essentially about what's good and bad in us, and especially about what's bad. And it's a, it's kind of an extra landscape of our felt badness in, inside of us. And so it, this book was a guilty pleasure for me in writing because it is a lot of my badness in it. And it's also a book that I shouldn't have written and didn't plan to write because it'll get me in a lot of trouble with my mother. She's always been very supportive of my writing because I've always written about my father's side of the family. Uh, but this, it all changes with this. This is her family in the background. Yeah. So it's a fairly autobiographical book then for you. What was that like to write? I know your earlier ones have been mm-hmm. perhaps more directly referencing what's mm-hmm. happened to you, but this sounds like it comes from a, a, a range and a collage of experiences. Yeah, they're, they're actually the same. In, in, 
in how I use background material, this would be the same as my last one, Caribou Island. Caribou Island was, uh, had the murder-suicide of my stepmother's parents in the background, but everything that happens in the book is fictional. It's a marriage going wrong out in the wilderness in Alaska, and the characters aren't my stepmother's parents. I don't remember them. It's been moved from California to Alaska. It's a different time period. So everything's fictional, but it has this emotional, psychological core from these ugly family stories from the past. And that's the same with dirt. Everything that happens here is fictional. None of this happened. And the characters are composites. The cousin is nothing like my cousin, for instance. Uh, but it has uh, this, this background from family history. So my grandfather beat my grandmother, for instance. And that's what is in the background of this book. And so there's been favoritism among the daughters, uh, Galen's mother and Galen's aunt. And there are fights about money. And so these are all legacies of that abuse that, that come down. Tell me a little bit more about the development of Galen as a character. Because you're right, there's a little bit of good, there's a lot of bad, there's some really funny parts to him. Tell me about how he evolved. Well, he's named after my best friend from high school, who's Galen. And he's part Galen and part me. So uh, my friend Galen had uh, eating disorder problems, and uh, Galen has those in here. I was very new age and trying to walk on water, and so that's my part of Galen. And then it, it's mostly, it, it's got my whole family in the background and, and nothing to do with Galen's family. So uh, I, I have found that in several books now, my characters are essentially composites. They're part me and they're part someone else or part me and part just made up. And when I write, writing's very unconscious for me, actually. I don't, I don't have an outline or a plan. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what the book's going to be about. I don't even know sometimes who the antagonist is going to be. In the next book after this, Goat Mountain, which will come out a year and a half from now, I thought one character would be in the antagonist and a different one ended up being. In Caribou Island, the last one, I didn't know there would be seven points of view, four couples all reflecting on marriage. I thought it was just going to be one point of view. So really, I don't know when, when, I, when I start. And so this character of Galen built up over the pages in the writing. Mm -hmm. And when I started writing it. I had actually been writing a novel set in Anglo-Saxon England a thousand years ago. And then I just started writing Dirt one day. And five and a half months later, there it was. And it's published almost in the same form as my first draft. Mm -hmm. So it's very unconscious and kind of raw experience. It, and I like that readers get to experience the same thing I did, pretty much. And to me, what's happening is that the, the unconscious has all this pattern to it, much more pattern than we usually give it credit for. And if I don't know where I'm going each day, and if I just focus on the walnut orchard, this hot, burning kind of landscape that's in dirt, the story comes out of that orchard. It, I end up finding the inside life of Galen. I find the relationship between the characters and what's going to happen, and also what the book's going to be about. In the end, it's about how philosophy leads to brutality. But that's something I discovered. I didn't know that until I was writing the last maybe 20 pages of the book is when I finally realized that that's what it was about. And to me, that's what ex what's exciting about writing, is the discovery part of it, that it's unconscious pattern, and it's finding out what all that pattern means. Sure. You mentioned that you wrote it in five and a half months, unplanned mm -hmm. and fairly rawly. Mm -hmm. Once that first draft was done, did you revisit it much? Was there much editing in that, in the revising stage, or was it... No, I, I went back to it. I do line edits for every book. It, I... I Think of two different separate categories, editing and line edits. So editing is when you actually add new material, new sentences, new paragraphs, or cut paragraphs, or switch things around in order. 
And in terms of editing, Dirt only has three or four paragraphs that I added at the request of my editor to make some connections. In terms of line edits, every book I line edit, but it's not very much. It's maybe cutting a thousand or two thousand words or something from the whole manuscript, which is just cleaning up sentences, not cutting a whole sentence, but taking out the little grammatical morphemes, uh, changing syntax maybe a bit. Uh, and, and I think, you know, I did that right after I finished. I did it within the next two weeks after or something. Okay. And then after my editor asked for comments, I added those three or four paragraphs, which were very smart. I mean, I have a great editor, and, and those three or four paragraphs were necessary to help readers make connections, the connections that were really just in my head and weren't on the page yet. Sure. This is your first book, that, or first novel, rather, that hasn't been set in Alaska. Mm -hmm. What was it like to write, write a story somewhere else, and do you think the aesthetic of Alaska is present even in this book as well? It's uh, a good question. Uh, the, both books are, this is similar to Caribou Island in that it works through landscape. And it turns out writing about a hot, burning desert, middle of summer in, in Central Valley in California, is really no different than writing about cold, desolate, remote landscape in Alaska in the middle of winter. It, either way, it's a landscape that's putting pressure on the characters. And both landscapes were vital to me. They were parts of my childhood. I grew up in Alaska and then in California where my parents were from and, and this walnut orchard is my grandparents' walnut orchard. And so I have these intense childhood memories. And so for me, I just have to have a connection to the landscape. And then if I put pressure on it and describe it, it'll shift and change shape and become something else. At the end of Caribou Island, for instance, Irene is running through the forest and she feels like the earth is tilting under her feet and the island is top-heavy with all the stone and trees, and the whole island's going to turn over, and the slick underside will be exposed to the sky. And in dirt, there's the same sort of thing that happens. Galen's out running, the, in, running in the orchard at various times, and there's one time that he feels like he sees the shadows of the trees on the ground, and he realizes the shadows are going to rise up, and those are actually the trees. The, the wood that we see is not the trees. It was just some external form. And so these are bits of craziness that show the inside life of the characters. And that's what is exciting to me about writing. I'm just trying to describe what's happening or what the place looks like, but then it takes some other shape and starts to shape what the story is going to be about. I'm interested in the idea that your writing is so unconscious in the way you create it. Mm -hmm. At what point do you start thinking about your readers and will this make sense to them and will, they, will this move them in the way that it moves you, the writer? Yeah, I never think about readers. Yeah, w readers are generally kind of weak and fickle creatures. You, you can't really... I, I don't think any writer can adjust for them uh, because they could be anything. In, in each country I go to, I've toured in 20 countries, and readers respond differently and have different kinds of desires, things that they want. And in the end, I, it's so unconscious. I, it's not as planned where I could say, well... I know readers want this certain kind of thing, and so this is what I'm going to give them. I don't even know what the book's going to be about. So the idea of tailoring it for someone else is just impossible. I, I never have a single thought about readers. Okay. Without going into detail, the second part of Dirt is fairly tense and full-on. Did you feel it was a risk to be writing something that raw and, and potentially quite shocking yeah. and to keep the readers reading? Were you concerned about that? It, it crosses a taboo, the second part of the book, and I realize that every one of my books does that. There's something that shouldn't happen, that's not supposed to happen between us, socially, that happens in each of the books. 
And and I guess to me that's part of where the the power of writing is to be able to transgress in that way to to push characters to the point where something that's that's a real failure of our basic relations happens. And that, I think there's a kind of revelation that comes out of that. We we have a chance of seeing ourselves in those moments when we cross those lines. So I, I wasn't really resistant to it. I didn't see it coming. I didn't know it was going to happen. But when it was happening, I was kind of horrified. Uh, but I also thought, well, I kind of like it. <laughs> and then at the very end of it, I actually got pretty depressed for about three weeks because I thought my mother's never going to speak to me again. And I still worry that she has about that. She hasn't read it yet. And uh, so I'm still pretty tense about whether or not she'll ever talk to me again. My aunt and cousin, I think, have already decided not to talk to me again because of it. Okay. When you are drawing on so much of the life and the people around you, how do you manage that as a writer and as a person in those relationships? Oh, I don't really. I... I um... I actually had a conversation with my sister recently where I had to tell her that although I love her, I care about writing more, and I care about writing more than I care about myself, and so I'm not ever going to edit or change something to protect relationships with a family member or to protect my own shame. Or, uh, it, it's really just all I care about, so I'll, I'll, I'll write anything. And, and so I'm not managing relationships at all. Okay. So I, I basically write whatever I'm going to write and publish it and then deal with consequences. And I'm afraid about the consequences, but not willing to change anything for them. Sure. Take me back to when you decided that you wanted to become a writer. Tell me about that process. Uh, it was just my whole life. There was never a moment of decision. It, when I was a kid, I was telling stories before I could even write. My mom was writing them down about squirrels. Okay. And then once I could write, I wrote all of our hunting and fishing tales and gave them out as Christmas presents each year. And I always knew that's what I wanted to do. It's the only thing. I never had that thing in, the, in your early 20s where you wonder who you are and what you want to do. I always knew I just wanted to write. But the problem was I could never get published and I couldn't make any money. I worked on Legend of a Suicide, my first fiction, from when I was 19 till I was 29 or 30. And then it didn't get published till I was 42, three years ago. So I had to have a lot of other jobs in between. I'm a professor now. I went to sea and became a captain and boat builder. had a zillion other jobs too. Tell me about that process of the 12 years after you'd written Legend of a Suicide and no one was picking it up. I mean, obviously, it's done extremely well since then. It's won numerous awards and become a bestseller. What was it about that book that made you believe it was worth keeping on pitching for 10 years, 12 years? I didn't pitch for those years. I, I actually pitched only for the first year or two. Okay. And I believed everything that the half dozen or so agents said about how it couldn't sell, it couldn't be placed, it's not publishable. And so I stopped trying to send it. And I didn't send it for a lot of years. And I didn't write for five and a half years. And I just pouted. So it's I was kind of a of big baby about the whole the thing. Yeah. Okay. That, and I'd started writing Caribou Island. I wrote 50 pages and I just got stuck. Mm -hmm. So I actually ended up writing Caribou Island in 2009. But I had started it 12 years before that. Um, and then I, I finally sent Legend of a Suicide to a contest, a writing contest. Because uh, I realized toward the end of 12 years, about 10 years into it, that no one was ever going to send this book out and that I would like to have it published. I finally had another book published, a sailing memoir, the second book that I wrote. And so I sent it to this contest and I just got lucky because out of hundreds of manuscripts, it's kind of whatever the judge likes. And, and she happened to like Legend of the Suicide. And then it was a university press that published it for the prize. So it's a very small print run and I only had three reviews for it. 
but I got lucky again in that one of the reviews was a full-page New York Times review, and they really went to bat for it. They did everything they could to give the book a life, and that's what changed my life, that, that mm-hmm. bit of generosity. That led to a bigger U.S. publisher, U.K. publisher, French publisher, and then gradually over time, 18 languages. So it really just changed everything for me. I mean, I feel tremendously lucky. It's a long wait, but it was wonderful what happened at the end of the wait. Yeah. Has your writing process evolved much since those 10 years, 19 to 29, I think you said, writing Legend of a Suicide to the most recent book that you're working on now? Yeah, it's changed quite a bit. Um, When I was writing Legend of a Suicide, it was only at the end when I wrote the bulk of the book, the novella, Sukhwan Island, that I found out writing was unconscious for me. Before that, I thought... I, I took all this, the short stories initially in that book through many revisions. And I thought it was about control and a plan and outline and revision. But there's a surprise that happens in the middle of the, of the novella that I didn't see coming until I was writing that sentence. And it changed everything, completely destroyed all my plans. And so I went back the next day and I reread all those pages leading up to that moment. And I planned to cut it and continue on with my plans. But I, it was like seeing those pages for the first time. I'm the one who wrote them. It was like I was reading them they're completely new. I could see all this pattern and pressure leading to that moment, which I hadn't seen when I was writing them. And so that's the first time I understood that there's all this pattern to the unconscious, and that's actually how writing works, not through a plan. And so ever since then, I've thought that an idea is the worst thing that can happen to a writer. And as I've written these other books, I've, I've tried actually not to know where I'm going. I think my ideas are very small and close the story off. And so instead, I've tried to just focus on the landscape and character with a problem and just find out what happens. When you're teaching at university, I understand you teach creative writing, is your approach one that you suggest other writers try? Or is it something that you recognise is very much a part of your own style? I think everyone has a different process, so I, I don't suggest anyone tries my, my way of writing it. I mean, I, I do, I write every day, seven days a week, for two hours every morning. And I do suggest that to all of my students, that it can't really hurt to just try every morning, sit down and give the best part of every day to writing. And none of them will do it. I haven't had a single student ever actually do it. Um, so, so much for my advice. And I also uh, think that they need lots of revision. I would never suggest that they publish what comes out in their first draft. I think everyone has a different process. You know, some people write a book in pieces and then put together the pieces later. I write right from the beginning to the end, straight through. So I I think we're all different. So what I teach my students is how to read, how to be better readers, and the importance of studying language and literature. And and I use a linguistics approach for talking about style, very specifically talking about what individual sentences do, uh, writing a grammar for a text. And I feel like I can offer them that. Uh, But beyond that, it's kind of up to them. You know, I can't really make them write a really good book. When you're writing, are you reading at the same time? Who would you say Mm -hmm. you're... I guess, the authors that you find inspiring? I, I love Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian, and as I was writing the novel that I'm working on right now, I was rereading his novel Sutri, which is maybe his second best novel. And I've read Blood Meridian six times. I'm often rereading it when I'm writing. And because I, I feel like it's just good food for the brain. You know, they're beautiful sentences. It's great use of language. He's going back to old English, our language from a thousand years ago. And I'm actually translating Beowulf every day now also. And I've been doing that for about... Um, I've been studying old English every day for at least six months and translating for the last few months. And so I'm spending time in that older language every day. And I, I think that kind of immersion is uh, important for me 
from my writing. And then I'm also reading current novels also. And, and I was just on First Tuesday Book Club where we read Middlemarch. So I, and I do that also. I read classics and I've been rereading Greek tragedies. So a lot of reading and also language study. You mentioned that uh, a lot of the, the structure of Dirt does reference Greek tragedy. Mm-hmm. I assume that wasn't a direct plan of yours. No. Was that something that you, when you saw that emerging as a theme, how did you feel about that, to be referencing such huge stories? Uh, well, it doesn't reference, reference any stories. Uh, it, there's no reference to any particular Greek tragedy in Dirt. Uh, it's just the, the idea of putting pressure on the characters by limiting the world. Mm-hmm. So they have a walnut orchard, an old house, with subdivisions that have grown all around. But they have a high wall separating them from the subdivision. They have hedges along the road. So they've isolated them, themselves. They've created a kind of wilderness among civilization. And that was similar to my last books in Alaska, where there's an island and characters are trapped on an island in the wilderness. There's no escape. They can't go talk to other people. They can't leave each other. And so they're put into these close confines where they can't escape who they are, finally. And that's what any dramatist wants, and that's what we try for in any kind of staging of something. So I was very happy to, to have it, uh, especially in the second half of Dirt. It's very exciting to me that it's just two characters in one place for a couple days. And then my next novel, Goat Mountain, goes even farther in this direction, again without planning to, but I ended up writing something where there are only four characters. The whole novel takes place in two and a half days, almost in real time. The only time we skip time is when the main character goes to sleep. And it's just one location. It's a hillside. There aren't even any structures. There's no building or anything. They're just on a hillside, four of them for two and a half days. And I really like the isolation of that. You really just find out who these characters are and how they're shaped by the landscape, by the place that they're in. And finally, what's your advice to other writers? Oh, I don't really have any advice to other writers. I mean, when I have, for my students, I tell them the only rule that you can't break is that every text has to have subtext. If you have a story which is just about one thing and just what it seems to be about and it's not about anything else, then that's crap. It's a blog or you know, all the other crap that we see in our daily lives, people's journal entries, um, news accounts. Those are all one-story bits of writing, and they all suck. Anything that's worth reading is always about something else. You're reading one thing, but you're actually reading for something else. And that's the only rule that you can't break, I think. I think every other rule you can break. And on that note, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. You've been listening to the team from the Australian Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online at writerscentre.com.au and discover details about our courses, seminars and popular online learning programs where we help students from all over the world. I'm author of the book Power Stories, the eight stories you must tell to build an epic business. And you can find out more on my personal website, ValerieKoo.com. That's Valerie, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.